Welcome to the Tell Me Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya. Uh, it's been a minute since I've posted. Um, you know, just been busy with family, work, all that sort of good stuff that, you know, we all know so well. Um, I would apologize, but, you know, I don't get paid for any of this. So, unless obviously if somebody wants to sponsor me, you know, let's have a chat. <laughs> um, anyways, my next guest is um, sort of the embodiment of that old cliche, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Um, on this episode, I have a chat with Tony Blower. I don't really know how to introduce or what to say about Tony um, that hasn't already been said. Um, you know, if your profession involves some sort of combatives or physical intervention, you've probably heard about Tony or his products. Uh, and even if you haven't, uh, chances are your workplace has probably adopted uh, a lot of Tony's content. Uh, he's probably one of the most respected, vetted, and renowned combatives instructors in the world. Um, throughout this chat, I noticed that Tony's gotten to that phase, like many of the greats, where he's no longer sort of you know, just a teacher, a coach, a practitioner, but he's a true master of his craft. Um, his mindset uh, is sort of a blend of science and art, sort of the science of combatives with, you know, an artist, uh, artist's interpretation. Um, for someone who's spent over 43 years in the combatives world, it was certainly amazing hearing him discuss other projects like the No Fear, which is spelled K-N-O-W, No Fear, uh, which we discussed in this episode, um, sort of tapping into people's mindset, psychology, um, uh, and that and that sort of stuff around around fear, uh, and how to weaponize it or use it as your fuel. Um, anyways, as always, no idea how I managed to get such amazing <laughs> guests on this show, uh, but you know, thank you for coming on the show, uh, regardless. Um, so without further ado, Tony Blower, much love, brother. Thanks. So welcome to the Tell Me Podcast, everyone. Um, it's an absolute honor. I've got Tony Blower here. Um, we're just on Zoom uh, between two different countries. So I'm in Scotland. Tony's in uh, the U.S. in California. Um, so Tony, the the way that uh, you know the podcast is formatted, as I mentioned previously, it's just sort of a running conversation from you know your background to present day and what we've got in the future. Um, so again, thank you very much for being on here. Yeah, thank you, man. This is, uh, this is, uh, cool. Your background, your background is very interesting and fascinating to me. I don't know if your audience knows your background or if that's, uh, um, sort of on the hush hush, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh it, it's, it's cool. You know how near and dear, you know, law enforcement, security, personal safety, all that is to me. So it's Absolutely. great to meet you. Thank you yeah. for your service. Thank you. I know. Well, thank you for your service. I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. I think, what is it, over 40 years now that we've we've got? Yeah, 40, 40, 43 years teaching, which Jeez. is crazy. Yeah. Which is crazy because, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird. If I can <laughs> hijack the, the, uh, the conversation for a second, I was out in Perth, Australia, working with the military there a few years ago, and I got picked up from the... Uh, the base, military base, uh, the 
Uber or taxi driver is going to take me back to my hotel. And, and of course, this is a very specific location and, and the locals know, you know, who trains there. So the guy was like, oh, what are you doing? You knew, obviously, you know, I'm not from, lo- I'm not local. You can tell immediately by my accent or lack of. And um, he says, what do you, you know, what do you do? And I try to be cryptic because I can't say directly who I'm working with and what I'm doing. And I go, I, you know, I teach, uh, you know, self-defense combatives, you know, uh, empty hand uh, weapon stuff. Uh, oh, very fascinating. He says, uh, he says, how long have you been doing that? So at the time it was like 40 years. And I said, oh, about 40 years. He goes, you've been doing that for 40 years. I go, yeah. He goes, how old are you? I said, I'm, you know, I guess I was, you know, 57 or 58 at the time. Yeah. And uh, he said, that's the only job you've ever had. And I said, yeah. And he, he went on. It became a really interesting conversation. <laughs> I had never thought about it until this taxi driver brought that up to me. And I think yeah. that's like just, a, just an interesting, you made me think about that right now when you said, when you, when you said 43 years, because, you know, uh, even in my martial art self-defense journey, I, like I didn't do judo for two years and then ninjutsu for four years and then taekwondo for it's it's from the time I was 15, my focus has been practical self-defense. Yeah. And uh, but anyways, I just thought anecdotally that was that was interesting. I I, I haven't had many jobs. I just had one. Did you do you even see it as a job or like is it one of no, those things no. that is just a I'm passion glad, that you just followed? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because the 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 uh there's something that ed Milet. i don't know if you follow ed Milet. uh he's a real interesting motivational speaker yeah. but one thing that that he pounds in every in a lot of his talks he'll say you can say i have to do this today or you can say i get to do this today yeah yeah and, like it's, a, and it's a wonderful reframe um so no i mean you've heard this story before because you've you know you've listened to other podcasts but I always tell the story about my mom asking me when I was 15 years old, I'm sitting on the floor trying to do the splits, looking at Bruce Lee magazines, <laughs> you know, daydreaming. And she says, Hey, have you thought about what you're going to focus on in, in school? You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a police officer. You're going to be an astronaut. Like what do you, you know, that conversation. Yeah. And I, and I looked at her and I said, you know, mom, school's not going to be that important in my future because I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee, and I'm actually going to develop my own self-defense system. I was so infatuated with it, but it was like very specific. Yeah. I'm going to develop my own self-defense system. Uh, two things. One thing that, I, that I, I've never mentioned telling the story, I didn't grow up in a violent area with a lot of violence. It wasn't like, you know, like some people like, like I, you know, I saw, I saw violence and death at a young age and I knew the only way out of it. I didn't have that dramatic. Like I grew up Mike Tyson summer. sort of story where, you know, yeah. you're 13 years old beating up people and becoming yeah. a world-class boxer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in the suburbs in a nice area, you know, middle-class, <laughs> uh, you know, was there elements of violence and stuff around there? I mean, perceived, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like growing up in a real, in a real crappy area with with a crappy so it was kind of weird counter it's it's i guess counterintuitive for that you know um, for that observation but i but i knew when i was 15 that's all i wanted to do so back to your comment your observation does it feel like a job um you know it never it 
it never does. Although there are many, many CEO days where it's like, hey, okay, we're meeting with the accountants today. Okay, we're meeting with this person or this person uh, is, um, you know, stealing our intellectual property. We've got to hire a lawyer. Like, like I hate all that shit. I'm truly... I'm truly an artist, you know, deep down inside. And, and so uh, I don't like any of the, the business side of the business. Yeah. I like, I like the, the development, the creation and the, the uh, uh, administering, like the teaching and the, and the getting it out there. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like just like you reaching out to me going, I heard about your spear system, you know, back as a police officer, uh, you know, we, we, we're in every single constabulary in the UK uh, there's elements of stuff in, in close protection training model. Uh, there's, um, uh, in the, in the firearms package and we're the only speaking of UK, uh, we're actually the only system identified by brand in the ACPO manual. Yeah. You know, they're there. And, and to me, I say that because it's, 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 it's not that I did a business deal. It's a demonstration of the respect for the intellectual property and the research of the system. And that, that that's that's kind of cool well exactly and, and we'll get into this a bit later but you know like combative instruct instructors um companies you know organizations whatever you want to call it they're they're a dime a dozen these days so to be able to establish yourself for you know all these years and then to be recognized in a, not just one country two countries, like globally um and to be incorporated into the training manuals of various organizations from tier one groups all the way down, not down, but all the way to law enforcement organizations. I mean, that, that is a testament to, to you and, and, you know, your, your, it's, it's mind boggling. I don't, I don't, I don't think about it enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I should, I think, I think that would be for anybody who's uh, experimenting and wrestling with gratitude practice, you know, as we, you know, you hear about it, you hear about it. I've always wrestled with it. Cause I was like, not that I didn't understand the science and logic be, behind it. And certainly we've all experienced that day where, you know, you're, you're let's, let's say like I've been to Scotland a few times, yeah. you know, there's times where, where as somebody exploring the countryside, you know, you, you, you're on a walk, you come up over something, you look out at, at, at nature, mountains, at the sea, and you and you're stopped and you tracks and you go, holy shit, this is beautiful, yeah. right? And like that's a moment of gratitude. Uh, and 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 how do you do that when you're in bed in the morning, like or before you go to bed? Uh, and down some weird rabbit hole right now, just <laughs> talking about some metaphysical stuff. But it's this idea of, you know, if you asked me how long ago. Uh, when you opened your first school in 1985, how long ago does that feel? I could close my eyes and I go, that was yesterday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like, I don't, I don't go, oh, that was like 36 years ago. I go, yeah. that was, that was yesterday. You know? And I asked, I, I had a, a, um, a meeting with my team and a bunch of people that I mentor in business. And I said to you, how long ago does it feel if when I say these words, how long ago does it feel to you? And they're all like looking at me on Zoom and I go, two weeks to flatten the curve, yeah. right? Yeah. And I go, it's, that was yesterday, right? Yeah, no. So it's it's interesting how how truly time flies. Yeah. How resilient we are, how adaptive we are. Absolutely. And, and you talk about it a lot in, in um, 
we'll get this to this again, but uh, the concept of no, um, no fear, which is yeah. spelled K N O W for anyone listening, not N O, but like, as in know your fear, no fear um, about reframing things. And that's, I think that's a perfect example of how, you know, you've reframed just the, the construct of time really um, to, you know, and condensed it from, from something that's happened over the last 40 years to just, yeah, it felt like yesterday. Um, all right. So getting, getting back on, on track. I love these rabbit holes, by the yeah, yeah. way. So don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Um, so just, yeah, we, we discussed, we just kind of touched on it, um, about your upbringing, but yeah, just tell me about, um, sort of where you grew up, um, you know, describe that the city or town that you were in. Yeah, I grew in this, up in the suburbs in a, in a place called, uh, Shamity, which nobody listening to this would ever know of. It's outside of Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it really looked like, like a, like a cliche, you know, if, if you're watching a movie in the suburbs, you know, uh, Edward Scissorhands without all the <laughs> weird shit, but just like big wide streets and, and everyone had a backyard and all the houses looked the same. And, you know, uh, and it was and it was cool. You know, you'd, you'd walk to school or ride your bike to school and, and uh, you know, everyone on the street you know, the families knew each other and there were no cell phones and you know, it was it was uh, weird. Peace. It was the, weird. The piece of no cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> and um, were your what did your mom and dad do? Were they um did they my, have any background in martial arts or anything like that? No, no. Um the uh m- my mom was I think in the 60s growing up in the 60s and 70s in that area, you know, most moms were just stay-at-home moms. It was really that, you know, my dad went to work, my mom, my mom eventually became a uh, decorator. She just had an aptitude for for decorating started doing like neighbors houses and pretty soon i mean that 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 became uh her business for the next you know uh you know 50 years after that 40 50 years uh my dad was in a family business uh my my uh his father my grandfather had an import export uh manufacturing for uh um uh high-end ladies wear but not high-end like gucci type thing but just like well yeah. well-made you know coats and 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 skirts and and clothing but just um i forget uh oh i just remember i can't believe this it was like like decades ago berghaus was yeah. a company yeah. out of of denmark i think or or somewhere in in europe and uh that was their big line they would import. They were they were the uh, distributor in Canada for for this uh, this company. Okay. So they were so we were in that sort of fashion, but it was very conservative. Not like you know, not like Gucci Versace level stuff. Very yeah. classic. Yeah, and and so you you mentioned before like the Bruce Lee magazines. What were uh, was that the the gateway or the influence into um, you know the world of martial arts? Uh, yes and no getting uh, probably getting beaten up was uh you know uh the um you know what's what's funny is i got jumped in around i think 1972 73 i got jumped by two guys had a really creative uh uh, um, escape from it where i feigned uh i feigned being injured when one of them hit me with a bolo punch to the body so i gotten i'd gotten um I was leaving a, a, a pickup game of, of uh, baseball at my school, uh, elementary school. I was like 12, 12 and a half years old. And 
I'm leaving and I'm kind of like alone, skipping out of school, like about to go home. And, you know, I'm going to walk the two miles home. And as I'm walking out of this elementary school, I'm all alone. These two guys who are like maybe 15, 15 and a half. But when you're 12 to 15, like it's a big, you know, as a, as a naive 12, 13 year old, it's like, oh, these older kids are talking to me. Hey, kid. I'm like, yeah. They go, hey, come here. I'm like, I run over. They go, is this where you go to school? I'm like, yeah. You know, when are you going to high school? There's a high school like 500 yards up the street. I go, oh, next year. They go, well, we'd like to welcome you to high school. Oh, cool. One of them grabs me. I'm like, what? You know, uh, gets me in like a full Nelson. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm like tied up. And uh, the other, they're laughing. And the other guy starts to do that like bolo punch. Remember when uh, Leonard hit Duran with that looping arm? Looping, yeah. Was gonna, yeah. And everything went into, you know, the term probably tacky psyche from your law enforcement. It's a big fancy word for when everything goes into slow motion. Yeah. And everything went into slow motion. Of course, I don't know the word tacky psyche. I don't know what, what's going on. <laughs> and, and, uh, everything goes into slow motion and I'm anticipating this much bigger kid and I'm struggling. Like I'm like, I'm trying to rip out my arms out of the grip of the other guy behind me. And so if, if for those of you listening to this, if you can visualize somebody's hold your, holding your arms behind you, they got you pinned and you're struggling to pull out of that your abs and your torso are as, as contracted as they can be. Like, so I'm, I'm as tight as I can be, but I don't know that my abs are locked on and fired up. I just think I'm going to get my, my, my lungs are going to get collapsed. My rib cage is going to get broken because this big, this big kids, kids about to hit me. And as it, as it hits me in slow motion, I scream. And I always make this joke. I scream. Like I imagine my sister would have screamed at the time, you know, my younger sister, who's, who's let's say 10. And, uh, as I screamed, and it was an embarrassing scream, it was like, a, ah, like really a, like an anticipation of, of death. Yeah. And um, I felt in that nano moment, I felt the guy behind me loosen his grip a little, like he was a f- frightened by my scream. Yeah. Because their intention wasn't to injure me, just to scare me. And I, 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 I want to explain this because it's very subtle because it's something I now teach men and women in our behaviorally based self-defense program. If the attacker thinks they've reached your threshold for pain, that's where they stop. So if you're with somebody, like if I punch you and you fall down and you go, okay, man, what, what do you want? I'll, I'll do whatever you say. Why would I hit you again harder? Yeah, sure. If I, I hit you, and you look at me like Bruce Willis in the last Boy Scout, right? And you go, don't hit me again or I'll kill you. Yeah. Like then I'm going to hit you, right? Yeah. So it was very subtle. But like right now I can explain the, the psychodynamics of it. That if your attacker thinks he has reached your, the, the, the amount of fear or pain he needs to control you, that is where he'll stop and now it goes to the next part of whatever the altercation was right and that of course makes sense to you Uh, hopefully i've explained it uh, clearly that your audience can listen to it so what happened when i screamed and i felt this guy's grip loosened my brain went and it made that connection at 12 years old it made that connection which is kind of interesting and um but the guy hit me right it was in motion he hit me 
And so what I did is I repeated the yell and I amplified it. I went, ah, ah, uh, and I pretended I couldn't breathe. And I felt the guy's arms like loosen and they dropped me to the ground and they both ran. Like I, as I fell down, I looked up and I could see the other guy's face like, fuck, we really hurt him. Yeah, and yeah. they took off and I'm on all fours, like, like, uh, you know, on the ground going. Ah, ah, ah. And as they turned the corner, there was a tree line there. They disappeared about 25 yards away. They, I was watching them go. Ah, and then they turned the corner and soon they're gone. Like I stopped because I was fine. There was nothing wrong with me. I stopped fixed my shirt, stood up and went, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and I went home and I had no marks on me, right? Nothing. But it was still for a 12 year old. It was like, holy shit. Oh, sure. Yeah. I get home and, and, and uh, I go over to my dad. I go, dad, I just got beaten up by two guys. And he's like looking at me like my shirt's perfect. I don't have a fat lip. I don't have a black eye. And he's like, I don't know if I've embellished this or if he said to me, was it a pillow fight? But it was like some sort of like, what kind of fight was that? There's no marks on you, right? <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, you don't understand. And, and um, a Taekwondo school had just opened up. It was the only martial arts school in the vicinity. And he said, you got to learn, you got to learn some self-defense because I was scared to go to high school. That was, that was the whole really point of it. It's like that. I'm scared to go to high school. Well, you got to learn self-defense. No, 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 no. You know, there's yeah. bullies out there. That was my first exposure to self-defense, and it was through doing that. Well, this I should say this. Bruce Lee passed away in 1973, yeah. and this happened like six months before that. So it was like this perfect like intersection uh, uh, of like, because when Bruce passed away, I mean, like the world discovered Bruce Lee. Yeah. It was huge news. And of course, you know, I went to see Enter the Dragon, and now you're, you're and he was so mesmerizing and iconic. Uh, but that was my first exposure to martial arts like that. But I will say this. Growing up in the 60s, I was, uh, and I was always an all-around athlete. But I was afraid of fear. I wasn't afraid of the sport of wrestling, of baseball, of gymnastics, of tennis. Of, I was a highly competitive skier. But I, I remember like being in every ski race, I was scared shitless, even though I was one of the best skiers on the team. Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing, just, um, like you say that, because there's, there's so many um, uh, like situations of that. Like I remember um, one of my favorite MMA athletes of all time was George uh, St. Pierre. And he had an interview because... I don't think it was super early on in his career, but there was a period where he lost against uh, Matt Serra and, um, and he was just saying, you know, psychologically in his, in his mind, he was just not, not right. He had a few personal things, but one of the things that was interesting that he brought up in that interview was that before every fight, he was basically just petrified. Like he hated, right. he hated being there. He hated being in that arena, but then once the fight gets going, you know, it's, right. it's, it's business time, but um yeah it's interesting that you said that because you know being yeah. one of the best on the team and I, I just i just actually um uh i got to i got to know george uh he was from montreal oh yeah fellow canadian yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah so uh, he trained at the gym that i taught out of as well it was no a this galactic center and him and david loiseau before they even got into the ufc i knew them back then 
I actually donated some of my high gear equipment so they could practice ground and pound when they were starting to, when they were starting to first develop their MMA transition Yeah, wow. and, and knew them through that and knew, you know, if you snoop around my website, there's uh, you know, I've, I've got pictures of me showing George elements of the spear at Dana White's gym when, when he had finally become Rush St. Pierre. So yeah. kind of like anecdotally, like I I've known and, and worked with a bunch of those guys Um but it was interesting because my no fear KNOW fear program wasn't developed. There was, we had developed a, a, uh, an aspect for violent encounters and scenario based self-defense, but I'd never, now it's a standalone program that we offer to individuals, families, corporately, uh, also, you know, tactical and law enforcement yeah. teams on understanding the neurobiology of survival how a sudden stimulus introduced too quickly can hijack the executive function, yeah. which yeah. means that the you there's a delay to access your cognitive brain, which is where you you hold all of your theoretical answers to a, a gun disarm, a verbal de-escalation, everything that you, that you train and you go, I would do this here because I practice it or thought about it. That can get bypassed in a highly stressful specifically uh, a dangerous situation and then your reptilian or reactive brain kicks in and that's where the whole start of flinch happens but all of that i can explain you know that all the way down to you know signal based training to improve the the uh the myelinization of a neuron where we were what the fuck is he talking about um but we want to be as fast as we can in life yeah like business loves speed Violence loves speed, right? So, uh, you know, in a sudden dangerous situation, the bad guy is the speed. Yeah. How do you compete with that is you need to improve your own mind speed. You need to understand this neuroscience. That's the missing link in all defensive tactics and combatives. Uh, it's not the physical practice. We, we, the, between stimulus responses, gap time, that refractory delay. If we're slow be, while we're making the decision, the bad guys got the jump on us. We're always behind the eight ball there. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I, I really appreciate about you is, is the, that you're very deliberate in, in the way that you, um, you, you come up with concepts or, or the way that you speak, because I think a lot of people would have basically what you, you were saying there would have just really dumbed it down to going, Oh, it's, it's, it's muscle memory. But then you go, well, you know, and, and my background, so I, I studied psychology in university. Um, so I'm, I'm all about everything that you, you sort of preach. Um, right. You know, you go, well, muscles don't have minds and therefore they can't right. have memories. Um, right. but, but what you're speaking about is, you know, the, the uh, myelination of the brain, which is basically um, the, the formation between the axons and providing a sheath, kind of like if, if, if anyone's listening and you're wondering what the hell we're talking about. But it's basically <laughs> like if you had a, a cable. Uh, you had one cable with a really good, um, you know, insulation basically, or uh, you know, a cover around it, and then another one that didn't. The one with the better covering or coverage will have, uh, you know, better conductivity between the oh, cables. Yeah, stronger, faster current. Exactly. Loss, uh, less loss of, of, of the, the, the signal. So that it's like it's like if for the layperson, I always describe it uh, less fancy than you just did. That was a good job. But like <laughs> like having. You know, having good electrical tape around around your wire uh, improves that that signal exactly. Yeah. So if you know if you if if you think about uh, we don't spend a lot of time on it, but like if you have the in the old days when we had uh, uh, speakers 
and a receiver yep. and you, you tie your wires together, you know, the, the, the better the cable, the stronger, the, the better sound you got. And that was just, it was just a more pure uh, signal to signal connection there. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, and, anyway. and that's basically like, uh, and uh, I'd like for you to elaborate maybe into it is, is what happens when you, when you practice effectively, you're, you're creating these, these pathways in your brain and the stronger Correct. those. Yeah. The problem is, and here's the problem is, is that when you look at CCTV surveillance video, smartphone, you know, coverage, body cam, we see people of varying degrees who've practiced moves. Some of them, not very much, some of them a lot. Yeah. And in high stress situations, you don't see consistent um, execution or deployment of those moves. I'm talking about gunfight, knife fight, uh, street fight. You can see this in, like, if you look at the disparity of skill in particularly MMA, yeah. not boxing. This is an interesting guy. I've never talked about this before. It just popped in my head. If you look at an amateur boxer, a, a a new like uh, like a, uh, an inexperienced pro fighter, a pro in the middle of his journey, and then let's say the top ten, they all look the same. You can see who's in better condition, who's in better fit, but you see uh, similarity in stances. This guy's a southpaw. This guy's orthodox. That's a jab. That's a jab. That's a jab. That's a jab cross. Yeah. That's a bob and weave. Oh, this guy's got to learn to move his head more. You can see. When you look at a boxer moving, you go, that guy's a boxer. Yeah. When you look at MMA fighters in general, and they're tough as nails, MMA might just be like the toughest all-around sport you can compete in, in terms of you, you need fear management, you need cardio, you need stamina, you need endurance, you got to be able to, you, you know, it's, it's probably in terms of demand and risk, inarguably one of the toughest things you could do if yeah. not the but when you watch mma fighters not all of them can kick even like 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 to the level of a a brown belt in taekwondo or karate yeah right not all of them grapple like a world-class grappler. Not all of them strike. You see their hands are down. Their punches are telegraphic. Yeah. They're off balance a lot. They're... So if you, if you picked apart the movement of some of the best fighters in the world right now, and you just looked at them like with one eye covering their opponent, and you just saw them standing there, you go, who is this guy? I'd punch him out in a bar fight. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, what I'm, and I don't want this to be misunderstood. What makes them dangerous is the fact that they've got uh, confidence, competence, and, the, and there's a difference. The competence is in ground, striking, kicking, clinching, yeah. and they've got the courage to engage. Yeah, That's what makes them so different, uh, dangerous. But I've said this before, that if I took you know, with the exception of, let's say, an Anderson Silva or, and, and, and a couple other, you know, uh, um, style bender and a couple other people that are, are, are uh, um, John Jones, and I put them just in a kickboxing match, most MMA guys would not do well against a guy who just does kickboxing yeah. if the yeah. rules were just kickboxing. Yeah. Or if I took all of these guys, with the exception of three or four guys, they couldn't just enter a boxing competition. 
I don't know. We're down a, a, a crazy. I don't know what the hell we were talking about muscle memory. And, and so muscle memory doesn't exist. I always make fun of people. Muscles don't have your know, brain, so they don't have memory. Yeah, but yeah. what, what we're talking about is the myelinated neuron that if you do it, and, you, and this, this is where you're going is, is, is when people ask me, I, so if I train, will I be able to do this? You know, meaning if like I, 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 I create a, a training protocol, like, will I develop these skills? And I always say no awareness, no chance, meaning your situational awareness needs to be there. If you don't know you're yeah. in a fight, you're not going to defend yourself. Yeah. But the mind navigates the body. And that's the most important thing. You can relate to that, but everyone listening, your mind navigates the body. If you decide you're going to go for a run today and get back in shape, your mind tells you to do that. Your quads don't wake you up and go, you know, you know, uh, hey, uh, my quadriceps want to go for a run. It's your, you've got a vision of yeah, what yeah. this workout should be and feel like, and you motivate yourself to do that. Exactly. So in terms of personal safety and self-defense, in my 40 years of studying violence, fear, and aggression, I realized in the 80s and then continued to refine this, that the mind navigates the body, that the people who manage their fear manage to fight. That became like one of the single most potent principles that I go, you can be an amazing tactical athlete. You can have 4% body fat, super fast, super strong, but that doesn't guarantee you're not going to hesitate yeah. when you need to do something. And there's tons of evidence to support that. And so when we look at somebody who's really well-trained, we're watching a video of, let's say, a highly trained soldier or cop or fighter, like running, like a fighter running scared in an octagon or, or, and you go, wait a minute, like 10 minutes ago, I saw this guy blasting shit on focus pads, warming up for the fight. And now he's running scared, not throwing stuff. What changed? What changed was, was his adaptive courage and mindset. Yeah. Right. So, so the skills are there, the tools are there. But accessing them has been derailed because of fear. Yeah, just hijacked because of fear. I think another yeah. um, quote of yours was, don't confuse technical with tactical. Mm. Um, and, and that's sort of a um, similar kind of lines where, yeah, you could be proficient and, and technically sound at whatever you're doing. But in this situation, if you can't, um, if you can't, yeah, you know, combat things like yeah. your fear, um, that goes out the window. And, and you also want to remember... Uh, we're getting we're getting nerdy here, so hopefully your audience <laughs> is digging this. Uh, you know, everyone's logged off, and it's just you and I talking. <laughs> That's but, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but in the don't confuse technical for tactical. The more you practice technique, 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 you unintentionally create an unconscious bias to use that technique. Yeah. Because yeah. because one, you've invested so much in it, so you like it. You get a dopamine hit when you fire that sidekick. You get a dopamine hit when you you oh, this is my favorite move. I step here and I hit here, and you so you get these. The, your brain rewards you, you know, when, when you do it. The danger of that in the real world is what what is going on in the scenario might not need your favorite move. Yeah, and so. Like, think about this. In our system, we teach uh, something called the timeline of violence, where we explain, like, the beginning, 
in the end of a confrontation. Where if you think about, let's say, most self-defense protocols start with, these are the ways you can get attacked. And you practice, here's how you get over a headlock. Here's what you do if someone has a knife. Here's what you do if somebody throws a punch. And what's happening is that timeline of violence is now focused exclusively on the physical, which eliminates situational awareness and avoidance, dissonance, meaning I got a bad feeling, what should I do and how to address that, verbal de-escalation, morally, ethically, legally sound de-escalation strategies. And so if all I ever, let's say you came to me and I said, look, I'm going to teach you how to get out of a headlock and we do that for 10,000 reps. You get amazing of that at, at that. But now you're, let's say, in a confrontation, all you know to do is get out of a headlock. Yeah. And when you, now your brain is going, what the fuck, what the fuck? What the, like, when's he going to get me in a headlock? And this might seem stupid, but the unconscious bias, like if I said to you, uh, and for, uh, I mean, I don't know how many people on, on listening to your show are martial artists, but if Taekwondo is mostly a kicking art, boxing is mostly a striking art, grappling is mostly like a, like a ground fighting art, right? So just using those three. If I ask a Taekwondo guy, you got a guy in front of you, he's confronted you, you just left an ATM, he's got his hand in his pocket, you think he's got a knife or a gun, you're, a little, you're really nervous, you decide you're going to do something and run. What do you, what are you thinking of? Your Taekwondo. Well, Taekwondo he's going to be kicking the guy in the head. He's going to, he's going to be thinking, I got to, I got to kick the guy. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be thinking grappling. You're not thinking of anything striking. Yeah. Is there any chance that if I ask the same thing to a boxer, you know, that he's going to think, well, I would double leg the guy and, and choke him out. You yeah, know, so he's going to think him. uppercut, you know, right hand, whatever. Yeah. In other words, what I'm explaining is that when I commit to my martial art and my system, I'm, I'm, I'm initiating a relationship and a love affair with that. That's the dopamine relationship, but I'm also myelinating the neurons, big fancy word for I've, I've created neural patterns to move a certain way. Yeah. And that creates an unconscious bias. So if I'm, and I can remember, I remember being in a confrontation as a teenager where I was all in seven days a week doing Taekwondo and the confrontation happened at school and I had my back to a wall and there's this kid yelling at me and he's got a hand balled up and we're at striking range. And in the back of my head was a, a voice saying this over and over again. He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick. He's too close to kick. And it's interesting that I have this recall of these events because they shaped how progressive and adaptive I wanted Remember when I told my mom, I'm going to develop my own self-defense system. I didn't know all this stuff, but I remember like thinking, wow, I can't specialize. And this is like, you think that that the UFC happened in 1993, this is 1975 when this happened, that I'm thinking I, as I got older, I can't specialize in one range of combat because that one range of that one range of combat predisposes me to only think about, that one range of combat yeah and so uh it 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 became a very fascinating uh a journey because what i wanted to do is create uh a a system that that basically here you are the good person the good samaritan looking at a confrontation and then you could look at it 
And with the right framing and the right questions, you let the situation inspire how to de-escalate it yeah. or how to defend. And so years later, I, I shared this very provocative contrarian concept that the, I said, the bad guy controls the fight. And everyone was like, whoa, <laughs> no, like, I don't like that. Especially when I was training my cops, yeah. we got to control <laughs> this. I go, no, you got to solve the problem that allows you to morally, ethically, legally de-escalate or defend. Yeah. But the bad guy controls the location. The bad guy controls the level of violence when things kick off. And the bad guy, therefore, influences the duration. You need to solve the riddle. Yeah, exactly. It, became, it, it was a very out-of-the-box way uh, to look at stuff, but it works. It, it's, it's nice as well. Like, um, I think, or do you think that a lot of the issues are, stem from, from ego? Like a lot of people, like you're saying, you know, in that situation with, with the police scenario, like it, th there's a bit of an ego, like, no, we own, we own the, you know, the situation. We For own some part, part of it is just the, the, the cultural language. Yeah. Okay. Like, so in 1993, when I first started teaching law enforcement, I said, Hey, there's no such thing as a reactionary gap. If I could go back in time, I would change that uh, language. Yeah, and I had like, yeah. Uh, in this particular class, I had 50 of the leading defensive tactics trainers from around the world, including the owners of Caliber Press in there and Masada Ayub and all these famous guys. Yeah. And they're sitting there with their arms crossed going, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, like to say there's no such thing as the reactionary gap. But I was looking at it from a performance psychology perspective. Yeah. If yeah. I say to you, this is the reactionary gap, there's an assumption and just for, for people who don't have any uh, training, the reactionary gap as referred to in law enforcement is a is the, the distance between the suspect and a police officer. And it's typically between four and six feet when a police officer's making verbal contact and he's assessing and he's threat discriminating, you know, and he's, he's basically saying to somebody, let me see your hands, do not move. Yeah. I think you're the suspect. He's gathering intelligence but he hasn't moved into and made a decision to physically seize and arrest the person. And so it's a transition. It's a transition zone. Yeah. And if you, if you do research on like convoy safety and ambushes downrange, like, and also opportunistic carjackings and, and when people get kidnapped, it's always in transitional spaces. Yeah. So reactionary, uh, the reactionary gap is like a transitional space. You're moving in, you're going. And so here back in 1993, I, I looked at this and I just said, the reactionary gap, just defining reactionary gap, there's an assumption made that this is enough space for you to react in. Yeah. And all the evidence and science says it isn't in terms of reaction time drills and like the tooler uh, training that showed you needed 21 feet to draw a weapon, get offline if somebody charges you. And I just said to them, I said, look, don't hate me, hate the bad guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I'm just trying to make you safer. Uh, and, and so if, if you've got a very famous researcher named Dennis Tooler, who showed that, that uh, a, a, a 
role player with a knife can charge and cover in less than two seconds, 21 feet. Yeah. And the stimulus response gap time at 21 feet, if you're inside 20 feet, you're going to be backpedaling, struggling to get your gun out if he moves first. Yeah. I said, so if you need 21 feet to draw a weapon against a charging knife attacker, why is four feet safe if he's just standing there and you're standing there? Yeah. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Like yeah. you just go, yeah, of course that makes perfect sense. But people dug in and they're going, who are you? You're not a cop. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so you asked me like, was that ego? Some of that was ego. Um, but I think a lot of it is dogma of just right. People being dogmatic. No, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. You don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Dig your heels in. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And this is what you memorized and, and you, you, you know, um, my whole thing and, and listen, my bedside manner and explaining things has, has evolved a lot. I, 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 you know, I love sarcasm. I love wit. I love, you know, I, so I might've, uh, you know, back in, in, in the early nineties, I might've been a little bit more edgy. Uh, uh, I, so I'll take, I'll take some ownership on that, but I've always said, look, I just want to make you safe. I just want to make good. When I was 20 years old, I got asked by a venture capitalist what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to make the world safer. I was 1980, 20 years old. I want to make the, this is what I knew. And so I didn't care if you were military law enforcement, a, 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 a soccer mom, a martial artist. And, and uh, I just want to make people safer. And I would say, you know, if I look at like the, the two well, the three big things that I built for self-defense, uh, the, the, the first thing that I built was our panic attack drill, which evolved into our ballistic microfights. Like it was a real, a, a real scientific, if you will, some people don't like when I use the word, use the word scientific, but too bad, a real scientific approach to scenario-based training and when i say scientific i'm talking about it into in the like this is a laboratory experiment and we're trying to understand the sciences of moving and psychology yeah so some people again this is a good great example of dogmatic where i'd say our approach to scenario-based training is scientific and they go that's not science you're not stop using that i go low i'm i'm doing experiments we're looking at biomechanics we're you know, we're not measuring blood panel or doing cortisol tests and all that, but, but we can do heart rate stuff. Uh, we can, we can viscerally look at an experience and do it again and improve the experience. Like, yeah. so we created a protocol for uh, uh, repping going through primal protective tactical iterations on purpose and, and getting a sense that, Holy shit, if I improve my perception speed, I improve my reaction time. That means I'm seeing the danger sooner and I'm moving tactically sooner. This is improvement. Well, yeah. to me, those are scientific, like yeah. proof of principles. It's observations and you're, you know, you're yeah. making, yeah. Right. Hypothesis, observation, outcome, yeah. uh, uh, proof of principle. So we were doing that. So the first thing I did is I created a, and this actually was another sort of origin story. At 20, one of my students got his ass kicked. And when he was describing what happened, I, I always joke, I said, it was like the god of self-defense hit me with a lightning bolt. And I went, oh my God, we teach self-defense wrong. Meaning 
when when his dad hired me to teach this kid who was being bullied at that point i was studying boxing wing chun taekwondo i had wrestled competitively so i was in 1980 teaching what what people do right now for mma yeah okay but i was teaching it without context i'll say that again i was teaching it without context it was like okay here's how you throw a jab here's how you throw a cross this is how you clinch this is how you take somebody down here's how you there was no context. Yeah. It was like, it was, and there's no context in an MMA fight either in the sense that you've got a referee standing in front of you. You either like the guy or you don't because of the pre-fight hype. But there's a lot of guys that are like, they respect each other and there are people that hate each other, yeah. but there's no context other than we're going to fight for three rounds or five rounds. Yeah. In, a, in a controlled environment as well. So there's, right. you know, there's not as many variables as the, you know, the real world, yeah. so to speak. Right. And so what I mean by context for self-defense is we have a model uh, called the ACP model, awareness, consent, preparation. If I've got awareness, that means, and I agree to stay there, that means I have consent. If I've got awareness and consent, I now am prepared. Yeah. Hopefully I've prepared physically as a tactical athlete but if i say hey dude you and i are going to fight and you go i don't want to fight and i go no we're fighting and you go okay i guess you've left me no choice you've now consented to it yeah. you can't say he i was you were surprised yeah so yeah, you weren't getting jumped yeah. yeah so but when we don't have awareness or awareness is compromised and we haven't consented this is where we loop back to a the a stimuli violent dangerous stimulus was introduced too quickly it hijacks executive function and to put that in layperson's terms when you when something in your life is happening and you're sitting there think about getting screwed over in a relationship or a business deal or or uh you've injured yourself or uh you you, you bite down on something and you, you you crack your tooth and now you got to cancel a bunch of plans and go have like you know get to the dentist and the nerves exposed there's a part of our brain that's going, I can't believe this is happening to me. Mm, yeah. I, I have to do this. And now I got to do this because I can't. When we're saying, I can't believe this is happening to me, we're in denial, which means that you're not fully immersed and leaning into what you need to do next. Yeah, this goes yeah. back to our KNOW No Fear program. So in a violent confrontation, every victim of violence goes through the phase of, I don't believe this, this isn't happening. Please tell me this isn't happening. And now you're eating up time that you need to shift those psychological gears so you can run, play dead, charge the threat. You know, what are the three big things you can do yeah. in a dangerous situation? Yeah. Get the hell out of there, try and control it, or you might have to engage it and, and you know, but off on a crazy tangent, sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Back throughout the 80s, that was my incubator period, if you will. I created a scenario training program. Because of the scenario training, I got exposed to a bunch of people not performing really well, yeah. which reminded me, this is beautiful, serendipity, reminded me of myself as an athlete growing up, getting really good at wrestling, uh, uh, low-level gymnastics, tennis, skiing my whole life competitively but being so afraid of the fear of the competition mm. that that focus on the fear impacted my ability to access the skills i had developed yeah it, it almost and like limits your ability to 
some some people call it like the flow state for instance yeah. where like you can't you can. just you can't just do you know let your training speak for itself and just you know perform you 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 hijack that ability to do that um, yes and i want to do the and part because for example my wife um she's she's uh, struggled with uh a, a different types of anxiety for many years. And one of, one of them, it was uh, an, an incident that happened as she was a kid and she needed to have a tracheotomy and, and she was, she's terrified of anything that makes her, her breathing really shallow. Okay. Yeah. So when we try to do like a, like a high intensity workout, like a CrossFit esque workout and stuff like this, she will never push herself, which is where all of the, the magic happens in terms of, changing your your anabolic system yeah you know in enhancing everything happens when you push yourself beyond your comfort zone yeah well and i'm talking specifically about hitting flow state because i'd be there going come on baby you got harder she's going no and one day i said like why don't you ever we're on a run we're doing these this rep scheme you're just you're coasting you're not pushing and she's and one day she finally says, I'm just afraid that something's gonna happen when I neck, I'm gonna pass out, and I keep flashing back to this. Yeah. And why I bring that up is just her fear of going too hard suppressed her performance, but she was never like going to hit a flow state like like Stephen Kotler and flow specialists talk about. In other words, the flow state they're talking about is like is like the X game guy or the, the sure. person doing extreme sport. And I suppose average people, of course, like average, like you and I, we can hit a flow state where, where in, in, by definition it's like, we're, we're totally enjoying the ride. Yeah. We're not yeah. thinking about the mechanics, Yeah, you know? So we've gotten a little nerdy here, but that's well, okay. Go, going back to um, when you were 20 years old and we were talking about the context and you were training, was it your, your friend's kid? um yeah the, the kid that lost this guy yeah, yeah the, the one that got beat up so what was the um uh do, do you remember the scenario of, of you know how he got beat up or like what, what was the conversation yeah I mean, he was getting bullied he was getting bullied at school and uh but it was all verbal abuse yeah and of course like this was 1980 so you know right now there's a lot of anti-bullying uh, uh policies in place at a lot of places but back then it was like you know, maybe you went home, told your dad, and, and he said, well, if you come home with a black guy, you know, uh, like, go, just go hit the kid. Like, yeah, like back like then. It's like a rite of like, passage almost. Back yeah, back right. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great line. I think the cancel culture has canceled all rites of passage. Yep. <laughs> now, it's just, you're born and they give you trophies in advance, yeah. you know. <laughs> Zero um, resiliency. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so Mitch's dad hires me to train his kid i'm training him for about you know two months but what am i teaching him i'm teaching him this is like without context how to punch how to block how to slip yeah you know how to clinch i'm teaching him my martial arts because because how we all practice and even to to this day most people practice for self-defense by sparring mm -hmm. and it's missing context it's missing the d1 detect and avoid d2 diffuse and de-escalate yeah, push comes yeah. to shove d3 defend those are our three d's so one day so one week i show up to mitch's first private lesson and normally he's warming up and, and ready to go and this time 
uh, I get there and he's like sitting on a chair. Imagine like a cartoon character with steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> you could just see he's furious about something. And I'm like, I go, Hey, are you okay? And he jumps up. He goes, I'm a fucker. I'm so angry. And I'm like, I'm going, dude, like calm down. Like, you know, take it easy. What, what happened? And he, he, he explains, he says, I'm running, I'm late for class and I'm running at the back of the school. And as I come around the corner of the locker bank, that guy that's been bullying me, he's, he's sitting on the floor. He sees me, he sticks out his leg and trips me. And I go flying in front of a bunch of kids at the back of the school. My books go flying. I'm embarrassed. Everyone's laughing. He says, and I just lost it. And they had never touched each other at this point. It had always been verbal abuse. Okay. And uh, the, um, uh, um, he, says, I'm, he says, I'm grabbing my books and I'm like swearing under my breath, you fucking asshole, you piece of shit. And, I, and he says, the guy stood up and he comes over and goes nose to nose. He says, say it again. Like, what'd you say? What'd you call me? And, uh, and Mitch says, like, I don't even know you've been bugging me since school started. And the guy pokes him like that, that finger, you know, you know, like someone slams moment. you in the chest like yeah. that, you know, it slams you in the peck. Yeah. And, and he's like, what are you going to do about it? And he said, as soon as he touched me without even thinking, I grabbed him, you know, grabbed his shirt and slammed him against the locker bank and said, never put your hands on me. Leave me alone. Like, and then he, and Mitchell stops the story there. And he's like staring at me like, and I grabbed him and I said, don't ever touch me again. Leave me the fuck alone. And he starts, and I go, and he goes, he dropped me with a left hook. And I'm like, Mitch, what do you mean he dropped you to left hook? Well, like, why didn't you, you know, cover, parry, parry. block? <laughs> and of course, this is audio, so you can't see this, but picture this. He's got the guy's shirt in his left hand, like a lapel grab with his left hand. And what does he have in his right hand? His school books. So if you visualize, visualize this, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you're, like you're standing in front of somebody about to have a fight and both of your hands are occupied. How easy is it to get punched in the face? Yeah. Pretty yeah, fucking easy. Yeah. And it was in that moment where I said, Hey, that's like the God of self-defense hit me with that lightning bolt. I went, <laughs> Oh my God, we've been starting. I call this now the star Trek model where in, 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 in uh, jokingly in the spirit of how Kirk could beam down anywhere and just be in a room or on a planet the way most of us practice self-defense is like beaming places. Hey, get me in a headlock and I'll show you to get out. Yeah. Hey, stand behind me, put a choke on me. I'll show you to do this throw. Hey, stick this gun in my face. And all of our self-defense protocols start. No dissonance, no bad feeling, no pre-contact cue, no movement. It just starts there. Yeah. And, and um, that, that just changes everything Yeah. because it's in, it's in, pre, it's in the, I call it pre-fight. In the pre-fight, that's where you that's where you the fear management comes in. So the the like the four stages of of uh like a like a like a mental blueprint of looking at violence. The first stage is you got a bad feeling. That's your situational awareness. Something's off here. Then the next part is you recognize your heart rate changes, your physiology changes. This is the self-awareness stage. Most people don't have that. They're like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And they put blinders on. This isn't happening. I live in a bubble. Yeah. Um, so we talk about this relationship between self-awareness and situational awareness in the D1 stage. 
then before you can actually run, hide, fight, or whatever you want to call it, you need to manage your fear. If you don't, you hesitate. Yeah. So a fear spike always triggers doubt. Doubt always creates hesitation. It's in that moment, and this is where I, I never finished, like the four things that I created in the 80s that became the four verticals of my company was a scenario system that gave birth to our high gear suit, which is a scenario training suit. Yep. During the scenario training, I noticed that, that people who I thought were going to do really well didn't. And it was mostly because of fear. I didn't know it then, mm. but it was like, wow, what's going on? And that became a lifelong study of the, the psychology of fear, not the physiology or biology of fear. Yeah. I have no interest in you telling me about fight or flight and cortisol or, or adrenaline or because it's either there or it's not. You still, mm. the problem's still there. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what your body's doing. You, you've got to manage the fear to manage the fight. Yeah. So that gave birth to our, what, what was our cerebral self-defense, mental edge, uh, cycle of behavior, all of these, how to look at fear differently. And then because of that and the evolution of our scenario training, uh, we started noticing how the startle flinch was always there when we did really good scenarios. There was yeah. always a surprise. There was always a startle flinch. The startle flinch always overrode complex motor skills. We're like, what the fuck's that? I thought, you know, I thought that if you, you did your 10,000 reps, the muscle memory was there. And I started to discover, well, I guess there's no thing, no thing as muscle memory. There's neural patterns, but neural patterns can be bypassed by your reactive brain. If your survival system says, you know, uh, we don't think you're ready for this. So we're going to just fucking do this. Anyhow, yeah. we're going to cover our head. We're going to push away danger. Yeah. So I started studying that and that became the spear system, which of course is the acronym for spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response, which is how do you weaponize a startle flinch, yeah. which is like our, our biggest thing. It's pretty crazy. And, and that for me, so j just a very brief, like I, I've, no um, competitive uh, accolades or high level training or anything. But ever since I was a kid, I, I started with, you know, the traditional karate, taekwondo. Uh, and then as I got older, I, I didn't really enjoy the two just because it, it felt very much of like a choreographed dance almost like I was like, oh, I'm never really going to use this. And the one time that I was actually wasn't really bullied, but it was just more of a picking on each other sort of scenario. And I couldn't get into like a position, like you're saying, to, to do the kick in, in the taekwondo I fashion. I'm like, oh, shit, it doesn't work all the time yeah. um, right and then i got into because of steven seagal and the under siege movies aikido uh and then found okay you know if somebody grabs me a certain way or somebody just strikes me i'm i'm kind of done for uh right. and then you know and then went to boxing and loved boxing but there's there's so, so many things and so many packages that just didn't apply in certain situations and, and you kind of put yourself in a box well, they're, they're, what you're talking about is they're missing context. Exactly right. Yeah. So, so it's like that, going back again to that, you know, technical versus tactical. Um, and then as a police officer, my, one of my first sort of physical altercations was I was writing this guy's name down and it was just one of those moments, you know, I had the, the, my notepad in front of me, my pen, right. and, and like your, um, your student, when you were 20 years old, both hands were occupied. So, right. so you know, old make just do whatever he wanted to do and 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 i noticed then uh and this you know hindsight's fantastic obviously um but it was it was that flinch moment that got me out of it so i i literally even though i had those things in my hand i just you know uh, for those of you who can't obviously see what i'm doing but i just lifted my hands up above my face and then i was like oh wow this is and then from there i sort of went into 
down the rabbit hole, found, found the spear system on YouTube and, um, and, uh, you know, hooked ever since. And, and it makes complete sense to me that, uh, the body and, you know, the humans have evolved obviously over thousands and thousands of years of conflict, uh, to get to where we are. And we have certain mechanisms in place to protect ourselves. The flinch is one of those things. And then what you've done is you've just weaponized it basically. Um, can you talk about, so in your research with the flinch, you know, I, I think you've discussed this on other podcasts where if you break down a lot of um, knife attacks or gun attacks, a lot of the first penetrative wound will be, you know, basically your palm and because of that, that flinch yeah. mechanic. Um, yeah, can you, can you just go over like any of that research if you have it, you know, sort of over the top of your head? Well, I mean, like forensic specialists will always talk about hand trauma. Uh, even let's say someone goes through a windshield in a car accident, yeah, motorcycle accident, you always see trauma in the hands and the forearms. And so think about the speed of, the, first of all, like I relate to that as, you know, before seatbelts were mandatory and before airbags were put in every modern car, uh, somebody went through a windshield, there was always trauma on the hands, if you can imagine visualizing mm. this for the, for the listeners here, you know, the hands covering up to shield your head. And so they would always see that, that trauma there. And I, I would identify that as, instead of just looking at the accident, I'd look at the speed and reliability of the start of flinch because you don't have time. It's a non-conscious decision. Like, you, like I, I always make this joke, you flinch hundreds, if not thousands of times in your life. You walk into a spider web and all of a sudden your hands come up. You know, you're, someone says, look out. You know, like, oh, hands come up. Um, in the case here, you picked up some sort of telegraph from that guy. And even though you're, you're, you're holding your notepad and your pen, you can still flinch. You probably lock down on your pen and your notepad. Exactly. Didn't yeah. release them. That's the cross extensor reflex. If you have something in your hand that with the, the body flinches, it contracts around that. Uh, but the, uh, the, the magic of the startle flinch, I looked at it as like your startle flinch is the equivalent of an organic airbag mm. in a modern day car. And, and nobody had ever identified that as a, an asset in personal safety. That's been like decades of my journey of, of how do I create the language around that? But specifically like knife, gun, car accident. I just looked at like this, this, this is our thesis statement in our system dating back to like the late 80s, early 90s. We had a thesis statement for our, our training. What does your body want to do prior to any training? Does that have a protective or tactical application? If so, why aren't we using that? Yeah. In other words, I approach this like, like again, in that scientific analysis is like, what is an organic resource? What are, what is our default? What are you, you alluded to the thousands, thousands of years of evolution? A joke I make is like, you know, you go back a hundred thousand years ago to the first fight between two tribes, right? Well, the, the, the first spearhead is, a, is, is estimated to be 400,000 years old. But modern man only began exploring the planet Earth 80 to 100,000 years ago. In other words, you know, if we were part of a small tribe 200,000 years ago, 
we hunkered down, we hung out together, we hunted together, we gathered together. We didn't go exploring because we were like, like our life expect expectancy was so short. It was like, you know, I'm, Hey, I'm going for a walk guys. No, no, fucking stay here. And we're, we're, we're hunting <laughs> because we're all dying. We're all dying if we don't eat. But they estimate that about 80 to hundred thousand years ago, modern man started exploring the earth. So imagine if you and I are hanging out 80,000 years ago, we just finished fishing. We just caught a squirrel and ate it. We're starving. You know, we're like, you know, you, there's a fire there. And all of a sudden we look up and on the ridge of a hill, we see another 12 guys and they all have, because of convergent evolution, they're wearing animal skins, but not like ours, slightly different. They all have long pointy sticks with them. Not like ours, slightly different. What are those pointy sticks? Well, the first, the first weapon was a spear. Yeah. And we're like, I elbow you. And we say in caveman speak, what the fuck? Like, who are those guys? <laughs> and hypothetically, we fought because we didn't speak the same language. And think, think Walking Dead, if any of you are fans of Walking Dead. You know, it's like, hey, like, we're just good people, but guess what? We're starving and we're going to kill you for food. Yeah. I build this dramatic visual because I want to make this joke about martial arts. And I'm a martial artist, so I'm not making fun of martial arts. But do you think the first fight between caveman from tribe A versus caveman from tribe B was like, spinning hook kicks and <laughs> and and uh tie clinches and bobbing and weaving like was there a caveman kung fu studio that we went to like <laughs> like after hunting and gathering we walked the kids to the caveman karate cave right like that didn't exist <laughs> yeah. so think about if i come running at you with a fucking spear to stab you like what are you doing you're running you're moving maybe you're picking up a rock and throwing it at me I, I'm with my hands open and my fingers splayed. I'm reaching and grabbing your spear. I'm wrestling it out of your hand. And then I grab your head. My thumb goes in your eye. I'm grabbing your long fucking hair because you're a caveman, right? Yeah. And, and I grab your beard and your hair and I'm smashing it against a tree or rock. And I'm trying to visualize like everything is primal gross motor. Everything is core to extremity. Everything is like survival. And I looked at that one day, I was actually on a podcast and the guy had asked me, what do you think is the, the best martial art for self-defense? And I've been saying for years, art is for a museum. People confuse martial art with real violence. Mm -hmm. And that's why, we, yeah. that's why some of us, it takes years to get our ass kicked. You said your experience was I learned these different martial arts, but then I'd be in the situation and realize, shit, this doesn't fit here. Like, mm -hmm. like, like like those uh, uh, block puzzles that we had as kids. Yeah. Hey, that square doesn't go in the star hole. Yeah. And, you know, your Taekwondo doesn't fit in the grappling puzzle. And your grappling puzzle doesn't fit in the I'm surrounded by three guys and I should run puzzle. Yeah. And my, my predisposition to stay in a scenario longer because I have a love affair with this movement that's why, and, and just, you know, anecdotally more tangents, one of my 1986, 87, I'm running a scenario, uh, uh, a scenario again. clinic. And um, I say to everybody, the fight's going to happen here in my school. As soon as you can break contact, you, I want you to sprint to where our 
uh, the exit is to the school. And if you can make that, let's say it's a 40 foot sprint, sprint there, touch that wall, that's safe haven. That's the police. That's the hospital. That's the escape hatch. Yeah. And a guy puts his hand up in the class and he says, Mr. Blower, with all due respect, we came here to learn how to fight. We didn't come here to learn how to run. I think we all know how to run. And I said to him, I said, Larry, still friends with this guy to this day. I said, Larry, the fact that you don't even want to include running in the scenario training indicates that your ego or pride may keep you in a confrontation longer than you should be. Running tactically needs to be part of self-defense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but it was just really interesting that, you know, if you get into a boxing ring or an octagon, nobody says, look, if like, if you need to run and jump over the fence, (laughs) do that. Like, cause you wouldn't do. So again, we come back to context. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that, and that was the, the missing piece in, in when, when going back to Mitch getting, getting sucker punched, not sucker punched, but Mitch getting jumped because he tied up his hands and getting dropped. I meant to say getting dropped because his hands were tied up in that bully situation. When that, when that realization hit me, here I am 20 years old. He's 15 years old. I said, are those your books? He goes, what? I go, are those your books on your desk there? He goes, yeah. I said, grab him, grab your books and grab me exactly like you. You grab this kid and let's work through all the things you can do. And that became the class yeah. is reworking that and not saying to him, well, you know, if you're going to get in a fight, you shouldn't compromise your hands. Keep your hands free. Because that's like that's what the standard Star Trek model would say. You shouldn't have been standing there. You shouldn't have been that close. You shouldn't have had something in your hands. But if I'm teaching a woman, yeah, she's going to have a purse and maybe a kid or a stroller. If I'm teaching a businessman, he's got his phone and a briefcase. We, we would do scenario training where I would teach businessmen. I'd say, show up with your suit and your briefcase. Because some of the drills, right, we're, I want you to feel and move how you're going to be in real life. Yeah, not, for real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, not every situation is going to be, you know, that, that uh, like you were saying, the, the Star Trek moment where you're in a perfect position for this, you know, uh, leg sweep. You're in the perfect position for this uh, parry and then you're going to you know, get out of there, whatever, whatever it may be. Like, um, it, it, was that part of the development of, I, I always like called it the Blower suit, but the, the, the actual name yeah, for yeah. it, is, is it? It's called high gear. The high gear, that's um, right. Yeah, but but, but, but I think it's, it's funny. so closely associated with you that it's just it's just called the blower. We, we, we would get orders, you know, and and you know we've had three ripoffs over the years, and people would still call us up and go, "Hey, we want the blower suit, not a copy." Uh, it became <laughs> it became synonymous. Yeah, you know, even though I named it, even though I named it high gear, um, like when we launched it, you know. Uh, being like, hey, put shift your training into high gear. Yeah, you know, okay. make it more realistic, real speed, real time, real movement. Yeah, let's. Uh, but our our system back in the early days had a real um, kind of elite following around, like the people that really understood. And the context. Listen, I said this a little bit earlier. I've been a martial artist my whole life, and and a lot of whatever. Uh, my, my journeys, my traveling the world, the, the great people that I've met and trained, uh, whatever uh, success 
has been because of my my immersion and involvement in martial arts even though i've gone off and done my my own thing in many regards it's it's still a martial artist yeah uh so when i when i say comments that sound like am i is he making fun of martial arts i'm not i'm talking about context yeah you know that like if you're starving you just you're you're happy if somebody gives you an mre like a like a like a protein bar you don't need a six course meal yeah. right and so i looked at at truly violent self-defense was like 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 you don't need to go to med school to learn how to put on a tourniquet yeah right so so i i just looked at self-defense as how do i stop the bleed how do i buy time how do i do cpr how do i do mouth to mouth so i wanted to create a self-defense protocol that had the same efficiency and effectiveness as like an emergency first aid course yeah and but to understand that if you do this six hour first aid course, you, you do acquire life-saving skills, but you're not a paramedic yeah. to become paramedic. You got to do way more training. Yeah. And then you do this paramedic stuff. You've got even more life-saving skills, but your job as a paramedic is actually to rush somebody to a hospital. And now a doctor who's done way more training than the paramedic is going to do everything he can do to save the patient. And he may go, holy shit, we need to fly this person to uh, like, uh, like an emergency care treatment because this is out of our scope. And so you've got actually four tiers of emergency, emergency care. And I looked at, so I created a beer own bodyguard program, which was like how to put on a tourniquet. Yeah. How to get yourself out of the situation. And then there was uh, another trainer program that was like, now you're a paramedic in the metaphor of self-defense. Yeah. And then if somebody wants to really go deep, so I look at, let's say, like a black belt in jujitsu is like somebody who went to medical school. Yeah. But you don't need to go to, you don't need to go to medical school for seven or eight or 10 years to learn how to defend yourself. So ho hopefully those metaphors make sense to people. No, and it's great um, as well, because, you know, th those are your sort of, let's call them tier levels, if you will. But like I mentioned previously, you know, you, you're sort of, and I've, sort of really delved into a lot of your content through um, I mentioned previously, Mike Glover's um, podcast on, on Fieldcraft mm. and on the Mike force podcast, but you know, you're, you're out there training SF groups, tier one organizations. Um, and then all the way through to your business, businessmen and women uh, moms, that sort of thing. So um, it, it is a great analogy where it, it is, it's like slapping on a tourniquet because anyone can learn that at any level of training. Right. Um, and it's, it's life-saving, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be able to get to the doctor for that surgery had you not known how to, had the, you know, first responder not known how to put on that tourniquet. So it all starts down there really. Um, right. In your classes, do you ever, uh, because you've got such a wide variety of people, do you ever have like a open class where you incorporate people from, from these various different organizations? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we've got, we've got, uh, several different classes, uh, you know, uh, so every Wednesday we release like a training update and we've got a listing of open classes and then classes that are just for uh, uh, people who want to get certified to teach our system. So we've yeah. got open classes for any good Samaritan. 
Then we've got uh, professional development classes for people who want to become affiliates of ours, learn our, our, our intellectual property and how we, how we actually run programs. Because it's not just the information. There's, there's a recipe to it. Yeah. And then we've got a whole listing of uh, uh, professionals uh, or classes for professionals. Those That's law enforcement, military, first responders, public safety. Uh, and then those are obviously restricted. You know, uh, so um, so we try to we try to hit everybody so we can actually make the world safer. And uh, but in in like our beer and bodyguard classes, an open class, and we'll have like a firefighter, a cop, uh, security. But then we'll also have, you know, you know, uh, uh, parents. We, we've had uh, um, classes where like a dad will bring his wife and three kids, yeah. you know, exposing them to that stuff. We also run an online course which is very interesting. It was one of the pivots we did. Um, one of the pivots we did um, uh, for the pandemic uh, called EOPS, which is Essentials of Personal Safety. Yeah. And it's a two hour course online and you got to hear the testimonials from it. Like I had eight of my top uh, uh, mobile training team. Like I've got really, really good people on my team. They've all trained with me for years, but you know, one's a retired chief of police, another one's active duty cop. This guy's in head of DT over here. We got guys from Australia, UK. And what I'm saying, this is such a melting pot is we said, okay, if we were going to do a two hour online program to make people safer, like the tourniquet model, what would we teach? And we spent like, like a couple of months building this out. And so you can actually make your family safer in two hours online because our focus here is detect and avoid yeah. defuse and de-escalate um and you can actually teach startle flinch convert uh, online because the the hard wiring of the spear system is already in you yeah every single person listening to this has flinched right yeah. and they just don't understand you know some of the muscle recruitment principles and some of the ideas yeah it's almost like uh, some, i feel like we, we kind of overcomplicate things nowadays like you, it's it's so intuitive that like you're saying you know out of your lifetime you've probably flinched thousands and thousands of times just adapt it for the situation and, and the context like we mentioned previously yeah um you know i mentioned before it was 43 years in in in, in the game let's say um you know if you subscribe to the the idea of the 10,000 hour principle and you know being huh. a master at your craft after 10,000 hours you've, you've, you've done that right. a few times over now uh, yep. is there anything that and as a as an inquisitive sort of person like yourself, what is there stuff that you're still learning and that you're still, um, you know, uh, uh, what's the, uh, trying to put this? Yeah, like just still learning and adding to your own sort of toolbox. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. So I I I mean I think I'm I'm always trying to learn. There's there's a a maxim that I've been reciting to myself since since the 80s you know uh be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become tomorrow nice one. And, yeah. and so it's this this idea of like always reinventing always learning uh, in in terms of actual technical skills you know at 61 i've got a a, a, a lot of scar tissue and parts of my body that yeah you know, i don't jump out of bed the way i used to <laughs> and, I, and i've got to be careful of uh of things that i've done through i've done some crazy things to my body 
over the years experimenting with, uh, you know, how close is too close and how hard is too hard yeah. in the self-defense Th- things like that. I can think of now going, wow, I can't believe I did that. I remember once having a, um, uh, there's a company called super safe out of Japan that, that made these helmets for Kyukushinkai karate. And back in the eighties, I bought one and I had one of my students, um, uh, throw a, a like a like a wicked shin kick uh to my body i was like simulating okay hit me derek as hard as you can <laughs> and uh, he whipped it in and i knew i was going to do this but i knew he wouldn't be able to throw it hard if i told him what i was going to do and as he did it i lowered my center of gravity and turned and just stuck my face in front of the kick Oof. yeah <laughs> now i had this plexiglass helmet on but i wanted I wanted to know um, what that felt like. Yeah. You know, but if you talk to like a TBI specialist or a concussion specialist or someone go like, yeah, yeah, you really don't want to do that to your, you know, and it, it but so I would do like crazy things like that just to go, oh, uh, you know, uh, I remember once taking six of my biggest students and having them gear up and going, I want you guys to beat me up. Yeah. We're going to do a scenario. I said, but you guys really need to try because I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck you guys up too. <laughs> yeah. And these were all like 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 big men, like and they're like, okay, let's do this. And you know, just because I wanted to be able to tell somebody that wasn't fun. And now more than ever, I want you to understand how important it is to get the fuck out of Dodge yeah. as soon as you can if you feel like like violence is imminent. Yeah. Right. I'd, I'd imagine during the uh, research and development for the Blower suit, you had some uh, some good contact right. and <laughs> yeah, you know, like like stuff like that. So, yeah. anyways, all all that all that all that to say, there are things like I wish I was way better at jujitsu. I wish I was, uh, uh, um, you know, literally, there's things that fascinate me. Yeah, but yeah. my body just can't can't do the uh, do the training anymore. Yeah, I just that, the output. Yeah. I can go do it. And then I'm like, and then I'm like fucked up for three days just because yeah. of, of, of nerve pain and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, would, would love to, uh, shoot more, be better with firearms. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. I've shot with a lot of people who have a lot more firearms training than I do. And, uh, um, let's just let's just say that that the the mindset and scenario training that i've done from decades has laid a very very uh what's the word i'm looking for here it's it's laid the right foundation for anytime i put any weapon in my hand yeah i'm ready to i'm ready to go but i would still like to be better at manipulating weapons i would like to while I've done some first aid stuff, I'd like to know more about that. Um, so, so yeah, like in terms of like personal development, but my, but the, the real stuff that, that fascinates me is, is again, understanding more about the mind and how to help people learn faster. Yeah. Uh, nice. So, so the neuroscience part and, and making it easy for people. So, Oh, you know, you don't need to read these six books and then go to school for three years. I can just go, like here's here's what happens yeah and 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 this like like when i read 
one of the best books on this neuroscience for anyone interesting in terms of a lay person understanding what goes on is a book called the talent code um which if you haven't read it i encourage you to read it and any of your readers called the talent code by daniel Coyne. and uh i've got on i've got you can you can see this but i got whiteboards all over my garage and i've got over here you can't see this but i can turn turn my camera just to show you real quick um I never, I never erased it. All of these notes here, because I listened to a lot of audiobooks, everything on here were notes out of the talent code that directly connected to, um, directly connected to everything I had done in the 80s, 90s, in terms of my scenario training. Yeah. I knew it was right in what we were doing where I could take somebody in on a weekend, give them this confidence and competence in primal gross motor movement. And uh, everyone dogmatically, like on the outside would go, oh, that's bullshit. You can't learn self-defense in a weekend that you can't. What they were doing was it wasn't ego, but it was, it was dogma, but it was belief systems. It was erroneous belief systems where if some if you go to somebody and, and you go, uh, sir, I, I, I want to learn how to defend myself. How long will it take? And he goes, well, you need to get a black belt. And once you get a black belt, that is when true learning begins. You know, some mystical, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? And, and we all bought off on that. And in the spiritual journey sense, that's true. Mm, yeah. Right? You don't know what you don't know. And, and then you get to a certain point where you go, holy shit. But you're really just an expert. But that doesn't mean that you have experience, exactly. right? Yeah. And so all of those notes there, when I was listening to the book, I'd be working out listening and I'd go, oh my God. And I'd run over to the board and I'd write, I'd write something because it was explaining what I what my intuition um took me through yeah. in, in the eighties, yeah. uh, really cool concepts. And it, it, it gave me language so that I could better eloquently and elegantly explain yeah. <laughs> that, 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 you know, this, this was a real thing. And I knew it was, I didn't care. In fact, as an, uh, you'll appreciate this has happened in the UK. They, there was a, um, a very, very famous for, for I can mention his name now because he's retired, but uh, um, probably Britain's most famous forensics specialist. His name was Tony Bleatman. Okay. And he had every like graduate acronym after his name, PhD, that like master doctorate, all these different things. And he was the guy like in 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 the uk that if if you wanted an expert in your court case in your assessment he was the guy well there was this one group that i can't mention that had repeatedly hired me and they were in a um, very high high level security element of the government there and they kept coming back to me and because of checks and balances it was like why do you guys keep going back to this blower training group <laughs> you know, what's going on there. And so they, they sent him to come audit my course right. because they would come back and say, like, they'd say, why aren't you going to another vendor? Why do you keep training with Blower Tactical? And they go, because like this stuff is just relevant. It's realistic. It's responsible. 
and and they would say things that like it was the science and the psychology and it was like but you don't hear those that that language being thrown around in other martial art or defensive tactic systems so they sent this for they hired this guy to audit my course for a week and it was in the uh, late 90s i think early 2000s and i fly over i was doing all the courses at that time and we got like 50 people in the class and and i get introduced by the host to this guy tony bleatman who's there with a clipboard and like very professor looking guy <laughs> and he pulls me over to the side he says yes i'm here on behalf of xyz agency to audit the course because of uh their human resources they want to make sure this course is safe and sound and blah 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 and i was really offended by the whole thing yeah and i'm i'm pausing here because i i i was thinking about how you know i said an hour ago or whenever that my bedside manners has improved over over the years back then I was like, like I looked at a, uh, a, a an expert with a clipboard as somebody challenging my authority or questioning the, the veracity. And I looked at this guy and I said, hey, listen, you, you can be here because the agency that funded this said you're going to be here to do that. But even if you tell me this doesn't make any sense, I'm not going to change anything because I know it works because I've been teaching it to people who are actually making arrests for almost two decades now, yeah. not guys like you in, in a lab coat, you know, in a, in a, in a at a university, you theoretically going to tell me that this system doesn't make sense. And he's just looking at me. I go, so, I'm only interested in hearing from you. If I'm pronouncing a big word incorrectly, <laughs> please tell me because I don't want to appear dumb, but I'm not changing anything in the system Yeah, just yeah. to make that clear. And he's just like looking at me. We're off to the side talking like that. <laughs> and I said, and I will respect anything you say a lot more if you actually put the clipboard down and did the class. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me, he said, you'd let me do the class. I said, not only to let you, I fucking want you to. How are you going <laughs> to, wh- why would you assess my system? Like if you're not doing it. Yeah. And he signed the waiver and did the class. And he, he wrote it. It was, I think a 92 page report for the government <laughs> that basically said everything that, that Tony Blower is talking about is based. This is his, his assertions on startle flinch conversion and human weapon system theory is is consistent with, you know, real life. Like his his science and his understanding of, of how the the mind and the body work together. Yeah, wow, well, that's that's, that's yeah, awesome. it was it was a, it a great was story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tony, I know I know uh, we're probably running short on time, so just to finish it up, um, after you know you you've probably got so many data points over the years from students and you know testimonials, uh, anecdotal sort of stories and stuff. Do, do you feel, you know, there's a lot of fear mongering, you know, there's the media, social media, all that sort of stuff. Do, do you feel the world is any more dangerous than, you know, sort of when you started? Um, are we more divisive, that sort of thing? What, what, what's your take on 
Well, on the well we know that. Yeah, it's it's, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. Obvious, so yes, it's 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 more dangerous because the people we've elected have forgotten they work for us and they think that we're just their big social experiment. In other words, when you can have violent riots being uh, almost endorsed by certain political groups, uh, when you have people being just let out of jail left and right uh, for whatever reason, uh, the cancel culture, it's making, it's made, it's made this idea of I need to be responsible for the shit that comes out of my mouth because I might get punched in the face or thrown in jail. When that changes, now suddenly you got, look how brazen some of the muggings, rapes, sexual assaults, break-ins, especially in the States. Um, So yeah, the world is more dangerous, not because there's more dangerous people in there, but because people go like, who's going to stop me? Yeah. Or, or, and there's almost a certain, a certain element of, uh, of that fringe populace that goes, yeah, we've, they've defunded the police. The police are only reacting or responding to a certain level call. All of this shit here, they're just letting fly because they're, uh, you know, uh, they're they're understaffed. They can't be everywhere. Let's just go. Yeah. So the politics in the last few years has made the world more dangerous because the checks and balances aren't in place. You know, are people more dangerous? Like literally, no. People aren't like the fighters aren't more dangerous, but the the frequency and the brazenness and the lack of respect has made it more dangerous for good law-abiding citizens. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, I had this conversation a while back with a, he was a bit of an old-timer in, in the police, but he was saying exactly the same thing. Like the the actual criminal element are probably individually not as, as dangerous just because back in the old days, it was, you know, hardened men that were fighting against each other. Uh, it right. was proper scraps. Um, whereas these days it's, you know, anyone who's, who's, who's careless has a knife does a couple stabbings you know there's 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 no the 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 person themselves physically or anything is not dangerous but the mindset is is far more dangerous right. um, and yeah. it's backed up by by this yeah this 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 new world that we live in i suppose um anyways i don't want to get into too much politics there but um thank you so much again for your time um and if if i could end the 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 session with a with one of your quotes it's yeah, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. And I, I absolutely love that. Um, uh, I'll, I'll drop your links in the description of the podcast, but where, where can people find you? What's the best uh, way um, to, to connect or, you know, get in touch, whatever it may be. Well, on, on a lot of the main programs, I'm shadow banned. So it's hard to find me, but if you're on Instagram, try and type in Tony Blower at Tony Blower. It'll probably give you a warning that I, you know, <laughs> I'm a risk to your safety by I, I, I share stuff that's counter uh, that goes against the narrative. Yeah. But uh, 
Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all Tony Blauer. Um, if you go to my main website, as far as if you're interested in our training and our products, if you go to blauertrainingsystems.com, I think my office sent you a link with all the stuff. Yep. If you include that in the yeah, show, put it all, yeah. I would tell, we didn't really talk a lot about the whole no fear program, but I will, I will share with us with all of your listeners that, that if you change your relationship with fear and your understanding with fear, you can change your mind. And if you can change your mind, you can change your life. And, uh, you know, if you said, hey, you got high gear, you got your scenario, you got your spear system, you got your weapons training, you got this. If you could only pick one, Tony, of all of them, and you could only do one, which would it be? Would it be the gun stuff? Would it be the ground? No, it would be the fear management. Yeah. Because that's what we all need. Regardless of the craziness going on right now, fear throttles everything we do in our life, right? Every decision we make, consciously or unconsciously, goes through this fear filter in our mind. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we don't realize it. You know, if I go, hey, you want to go here? You go, Mark, is that going to be dangerous? Or is that going to be safe? Or can I afford that? These are all like fear discussions. Yeah. Your ability to manage your fear helps you manage your time. Because the longer you stay in the fear loop, the more time you use up in a violent, dangerous situation that could be life like shortening, <laughs> like right, you're, you're like, you should not be hesitating now. Um, you know, if I say to you, hey, I'm going to give you five weeks or five days to make a uh, decision on this deal. And after that, the deal's off the table. Now you're going, oh, shit, can I raise the money? Do I need an investor? And you're in this fear loop and making a decision, but you have five days. Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm just giving you like a couple of examples, relationships, health, finances, violence, there's fear around everything. And the, 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 the more we understand how to make fear a fuel that we can consume instead of have it consume our time and consume us, the, the, the more effective we are. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, there's a link uh, to our ebook called Making Friends with Fear. Uh, please please make sure your, your, your readers get access to that because just those nine pages could actually literally change your life. Yeah. And, and, and on that as well, and I should have mentioned this. Uh, I think one of the last two points of that book uh, was, you know, that you can't be courageous without being fearful uh, right. and just like fear, uh, courage is contagious. Um, uh-huh. So I, I think that's a, a, you know, really good points there. Um, and, and I will put a link to that ebook. Um, again, it's for everyone listening. It's free, so so definitely read it because it yeah. it affects you. No matter you know whether you're out there patrolling um, as a cop or like you're saying, you know you, you you're a business person. You've got a small business and you're trying to make business decisions. Uh, you've got kids and you're trying to you know feed the family. Everything or even raise them as parents. Every parent, exactly, yeah. every parent needs to teach their kid. Had my coaches, parents, and school teachers understood fear management my life would have been completely different (laughs) yeah yeah right like like my experience in all sports in dating as a teenager in preparing for an exam at school but fear is around us we just don't like talking about fear yeah no agreed might might have to get you on another podcast then maybe i do do it strategically (laughs) yeah there you go awesome thank you so much sir um yeah okay, thank, thank you for your service and this was a fun talk and uh look forward to seeing you online again or, or maybe in a course in the near future beautiful thanks thanks very much tony okay stay safe